Hello and welcome to Trash and Treasury. I'm Grace and my co-host is Miranda. This week on Trash and Treasury, we're going to be discussing the ethics of reality TV. What is the toll that it takes on people's actual lives to get an entertaining reality TV show? We'll also be discussing the mockumentary series, The Office, and more specifically, the American version of The Office and not the British version of The Office, which I know, controversial, um, but it Hmm. is an absolute favourite of both Grace and mine, so uh, it's going to be another good app today. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into Treasury. like many other people, enjoy a little bit of indulgence in some reality TV shows from time to time. Um, and although extraordinarily entertaining, what happens to the people behind the camera? What happens to them during the show and after the show? We'll be discussing a few examples over recent years of some prominent stories which have brought the ethics of reality television to the forefront of the media. I'm going to begin by breaking down just a couple of uh, different ways that of different types of reality TV shows. Um, and this was broken down in a podcast uh, that I listened to uh, called Mamma Mia! The Quickie. And it was actually a producer himself explaining the different types of reality television. Interesting. So the, yeah. It's very, very rare that you get these kind of insights. So it is, it is really good. Um, the interview that I'm talking about is with Troy Duvold, a producer who often explains uh, that some forced conversations will get cut as well. Um, So he basically says that heavily scripted reality doesn't do very well a lot of the time. You can tell, yeah. You can tell. He's like, people, the the magic of reality TV for viewers is the the reactions. So you do actually want to kind of make the scenario as such to brew brew up a situation that you don't have to script because you want real reactions, which, yeah. We'll talk about later. The first type is retro scripting. So that means that everything is filmed first and the commentary is only added afterwards. So that's pretty close to a documentary, but it's still a reality show, but fairly close to a documentary. The next level up is outline scripted. So this is quite common. Um, and this is the sense that you go in with somewhat of an intention, but as the material comes in, sometimes that outline changes. So it's sort of like an, a bit more of an organic approach. Like you might have a premise for a show, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the show. You're not planning for actual events. You're just planning for the style. And as things happen, you might, you might decide that uh, it's going a different way and you just kind of go with that. There's the next step up, which is the concept of seeding content. This, for example, is like a producer saying to a contestant, could you please have a conversation to Chad regarding Cindy, but not telling them what to say or how to say it. So it's lightly sprinkling suggestions to people or they want to cover content or they want to explain something to the viewers. So they ask contestants to do certain things, to have conversations, but they don't tell them that you have to like pick a fight with this person. They just say, bring it up or something like that. The next mm-hmm. level up the next level up from that is soft scripting. So that is where lots of objectives need to be met in order to move forward. So that's like where they say we can't jump to the next scene until we've seen, you know, Karen, Michaela, you know, Chad, Nancy and whoever um are all have all had a massive blow up. 
and there's oh, a cheating and there's a, and there's a cheating scandal or something like what? that. <laughs> that's not soft <laughs> scripting. That's literally directing them. I would say that I've probably taken that, yeah, probably a little bit too far. But it is like they need to meet objectives before they can move on. Would you say doomsday preppers is soft scripting? Like you must get rejected by these women before you can find (laughs) a search for love. That's just scripting. That's That's not soft. That's just scripting because that is a a scripted thing. Um, So then the next level up is scripted response. So... This is the heaviest type of producer intervention. So this is the example. So, yeah, I've probably muddled up those examples. But um, this is the one where fights in TV shows that seem really forced or rehearsed. Read The Hills (laughs) or Real Housewives. So this is like very, very heavily scripting shows. um, And it's... It's very obvious. Like sometimes I've I've watched reality TV shows before where you can literally see people laughing during fights because they just they actually like each other but they're just kind of doing really? it for, doing it for the shits and gigs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People that absolutely. are trying to get a media career. Yes. Yep, media career or they just need to meet objectives. They don't really you know. Um there was actually I was listening uh in my podcast research, I was listening to the bachelor recap podcast called here to make friends. And there's an interview with a a man who was on paradise and he said, like, sometimes they're asking you to do stuff. Sometimes the, the producers are asking you to do things and you're sort of saying to them, I'm not comfortable doing that, but I'll do this, this, and this, like, what are you trying to get from me? Because sometimes they're just asking them roundabout questions because they're trying to soft script them. But they're actually just trying to get somewhere. And then the contestants are like, could you just tell me what you want? And I'll just give you that. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously. And, yeah, a lot of the people who get chosen for these shows are, you know, uh, people who kind of want to up their profile. So they're kind of a little bit on board with it. I think it's really interesting as well that you bring up the fact that a lot of people that are on the shows sort of want to get a bit of a media profile and get an Instagram following and they're kind of showbiz people happy to go along with entertainment because I saw an example um, of a woman who was on my kitchen rules and basically she said to her husband who was a plumber she's like let's quit our jobs go on a reality show we'll be able to get famous we'll be able to get endorsements that can be our career Mm -hmm. Um, and so they quit their job and they go on it but the producers portrayed them as the villains And so basically after the show finished, like she couldn't get a single endorsement deal, even though she'd become famous because no brand wants to partner with a villain and that's how they were edited and they couldn't control how they were edited. And so she's like, I feel really bad. I told him to quit his plumbing business because I thought that would make us money and it's really backfired. Mm. But that's why you shouldn't quit your job to go on a reality show. (laughs) to get famous you know because it might not work out for you and even if you get famous you might not get endorsement deals I do disagree with the fact that um, brands don't want to partner with villains because they do it all the time Um, there are heaps and heaps and heaps of villains who get heaps of endorsement deals particularly Kira from The Bachelor who's often on ads Um, what's her name Davina from Married at First Sight on heaps of ads um, there's, yeah, there's heaps of people who've been tr- portrayed as villains who do quite well, but they do quite well for a short time. So <laughs> it doesn't, That's doesn't work out <laughs> as their long-term career. And then I guess there's the people that just don't really become famous, particularly, I think, um, 
this whole Instagram endorsement deal is very last five to 10 years. So when you go to the more early seasons of Big Brother in the early 2000s is where I'm going to give another example. So this woman was on maybe season two of Big Brother in Australia. And in her pre-show interviews, the producers are like, so, you know, this is an off-camera interview, but just getting background. So they're like, why are you here in Big Brother? And she's like, oh, like, I just really want to change my life um, and do something different. I've been in a really dark place for the last year because I lost a child. Um, I miscarried very late in the pregnancy or she had a stillborn. Mm. And she was basically saying, like, I've been really depressed and I just want to, like, change my life completely and go do, like, some crazy reality show and just, like, get out of my comfort zone, have fun. So, like, the show's going along and then, like, week five or something, they bring out this challenge where all of the contestants have to look after a baby born together and she starts crying and they say to her, okay, it's time for you to tell Australia your story. Oh my and they God. basically made that whole week's theme around making her tell something that she didn't actually want to say and traumatising her and then being like, tell Australia why you're crying. Oh, that's so sad. I don't I know. know. That's st- well, that's not. she's not that. famous. So quite an extreme example of ethics being very, very blurry came up in the US in 2017 in Bachelor in Paradise um, between uh, two contestants called Corinne and Demario, and there was a, uh, allegations uh, of sexual assault. But interestingly, these allegations were filed by a third party um, who was one of the field producers. Um, a complaint where you are not involved in in the incident, but where they believe they witnessed a sexual assault and um, that they witnessed it in a workplace. So there is sort of questions about, you know, what is a safe workplace, um, you know, raised concerns, you know, um, uh, vicarious trauma, things like that. So there's all these sorts of things that needed to be investigated. So what happened next was that the show was instantly halted and an investigation was conducted but it was con- it was conducted by Warner Brothers, who own but the Bachelor franchise. If anyone doesn't know, um, they which is quite questionable in itself, as they own and have stakes in the franchise. But it was actually also assisted by an outside law firm, uh, and they did find that there was no incident of misconduct based on extensive footage and the surrounding circumstances of the incident. Demario, who was uh, quite. You know, he, he had a lot of bad press in relation to this, um, said he would be taking further legal action. Corinne claimed she blacked out um, and couldn't remember anything. And so she said, although there was no wrongdoing found, um, the claims and allegations around the incident were very, very confusing for her at the beginning and really scary because she couldn't remember what happened. Well, she was also too drunk to consent. So I remember hearing about this story That's in the right. news and they're like, oh, he went down on her, so that's not rape because, like, women like that. And it's like if she was blackout drunk, she's too drunk yeah. to consent and she can't remember it. So it doesn't matter if the footage didn't look like he forced himself upon her. Yes, but it gets even blurrier, Grace, because... Um, so basically she made statements afterwards saying she believed she was a victim and still confused and trying to make sense of everything. 
But she also said that she did not blame Demario. She believed he was also impaired, and everyone agreed with this. He was he was quite impaired as well. Um, but what was more, but she was more upset with production and the fil- how yeah. the filming went down that day, and how that they yeah. were both portrayed because they have both been widely, widely victimized by the media. Um, another element to this was that Demario was African American. And Corinne was a tiny, blonde, wealthy cheerleader type, um, you know. So, of course, Demario did get a lot of negative press with racial undertones. But Corinne also mm. received a huge ama- amount of slut-shaming and, you know, more or less commentary that she would have been asking for it, which was, you know, Corinne, Corinne uh, as a contestant before this incident, played up slutty. She was definitely on board with this portrayal of herself, I have no doubt. But the media surrounding these allegations was really mean, shamey and gross, and they just, they went way, way, way too far. Wow. It was just, it was really, really blurry. Um, I haven't found any articles after 2017, so... I feel like a lot of things were kind of hushed up after that time. Um, Again, I haven't done extensive research on it, but um, I couldn't find that there were any other court cases or anything found. But it did put a huge spotlight on Warner Brothers, The Bachelor, Duty of Care, um, and it was, yeah, it was really, really interesting. So it it has brought more attention to the the issue. It's interesting. Um, And it is interesting that in that case you know, they weren't actually found liable because it's actually a bit different in Australia. So recently in Australia, um, Nicole Prince bought a court case against the reality renovation show House Rules, Mm -hmm. saying that she had a major depressive episode and post-traumatic stress disorder after her and her partner were cast as the mean girls and the producers edited them to seem really hypocritical and they basically got an avalanche of social media hate. And actually, her court case won, and Channel 7 was found liable to pay workers' compensation on the basis that actually they found that she was an employee of yes. the company. Yeah. It Which was really groundbreaking. Interesting. It, it was, was really, really groundbreaking. Yeah. And now some other um, rally TV contestants are talking about using that as precedent, such as Tracy from Married at First Sight. But what's yes. different in the US is that um, in that Bachelor in Paradise example, they weren't able to use the sort of same ruling because in the US they have the ability for networks to put something in the contract to say that I disclaim employer status. But in Australia, you can't just void that with a contract because the high court or a court can decide that it does bear the hallmarks of employment. Yes, because actually... Um an article that I was reading about this court case, I remember it said something about there was a clause in the contract that said that you are not an employee of Channel 7 or whatever. Yeah, but basically are- the court overruled it and said, well, you yeah. pay her and they're not an entrepreneur. They're not taking the risk to establish their own business. They're an employee yes. no matter what you wrote on that contract and therefore you have an obligation to protect their yeah. health and well-being. Well-being. Which is which I found I found just absolutely um, really really interesting because you know in contracts you know if you agree to a contract you know that usually means that you know whatever you agree to be it ridiculous or not um, that's what you signed which is why everyone says read the fine print but in this case they've said no just because you have made someone agree to this does not mean that you know. 
<laughs> that they are not your employee. But I which, guess it's informed consent and also can you withdraw your consent when the situation changes or you see how you've been edited? Yeah. Look, that's that's a pretty interesting question that I would like to see what you think about it because do you think that if, if everyone agrees to go on a show and someone gets a poor edit, like, do you really think that it's the producer's issue that someone takes issue, issue with themselves being edited as a villain? Like, they went on a show. I think it's really manipulative um, because apparently the producers say to them, like, oh, Australia's going to love you. Like, this is so awesome. So they're not saying to them, hey, like, who wants to be the villain? Oh, cool, I'll work with you to do that. Like, it's done in a really manipulative way where they're telling them, like, yeah, Australia loves you, you're the favourites. And then they look at it and they see it on TV and all of their nice conversations from the day got cut and their worst five minutes of every day got shown. Mm-hmm. And that's who they're portrayed as. I I somewhat agree because I think there are examples where this is true, um, where they heavily manipulate people. But I think that if you agree to go on a show like this and you get edited as a villain and a lot of the time you see people doing some really heinous shit on these shows and there are full uncut lengths of time where they don't deny saying things like the contestants have said I, I didn't I, I still said those things but and it's like well out of context still said it. yeah 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 it, it's not out of context grace sometimes they are absolutely within context and it is the reality and just because they get bad press about it they they blame the producers for bad editing but actually that's just a bad thing that that person did and I'm get again I'm not saying every example I I'm completely aware that reality tv can be highly produced but there are times where I'm like no, nah, you're just a straight up dick. Like, um, for instance, in Married at First Sight, um, the guy who oh, he was on last season and he said to her, um, she was talking about her childhood and growing up in foster care. And he's like, I'm not your bloody counselor. Like, this isn't therapy and stuff. Mm. Like, he was just, he was awful and he constantly undermined her. He was so rude. And he said all of those things. And he was like, oh, you know, they edited me badly. And it's like, but you're just a dick. You are just a dick. I, I fully believe that. I think you might have some more qualities that we didn't get to see. You might be nuanced. You might be a complicated person. But you still said those things to her. And that was very offensive. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I really don't think that everything that people say after a show finishes, when they get a bad edit, is untrue. Like, and some people totally play up the villain. Martha did in Married at First Sight. She loved being a villain. Yeah, but I think on the whole, it's definitely gotcha and they're definitely trying to catch people at a way they didn't want to be portrayed. I think you can't argue with that. Um, I guess, but also people have seen reality shows and they know what can happen. Um, and if you get into a crazy cat fight with someone, maybe it's not going to look great, you know? Like, I think... Yeah, people just need to, like, obviously exercise judgment and, like, be aware that reality is highly produced. But there are some times and some instances that are real. And I fully believe that people just try and blame shows these days for, you know, producers, you know, picking on them and things like that when actually, you know, they just did the wrong thing. That's that's what I think. I think it also brings up uh, another interesting point of you know what is a decent concept you know we talked about earlier um 
that instead of scripting reality, they create a scenario in which people are put under so much pressure or under such duress that they will act in a certain way and you'll get good footage. Um, So a couple of key examples might be like Survivor um, or survival shows, particularly Alone. So Alone is a TV show where they literally put someone into the wilderness without any camera crew, without anything. They have to film themselves and they have a satellite beacon to call for help if they need it. And then they actually literally take a few hours to get there because that's they're so far away. And they're like on a desert island, <laughs> desert island or Vancouver Island or Patagonia with like lions, tigers, bears, like all this dangerous stuff, no food. Um, and at the end of it, they might get $500,000. And $500,000 is a ton of money, but people are putting themselves on the line. They are all... Has anyone know, ever died on a show like that? No one's ever died on that show. Um I'm sure that there would have been shows that people have possibly died on, um, but I would assume that those never got made into a show, you know, or anything. Did you hear about um, the Germans that are currently in the Big Brother house? No. So they basically like went in one day on hazmat suits and they're like, just want to like update you on what's happening outside of the Big Brother house. Like, there's this thing called coronavirus. Um, (laughs) all your family are okay. Like we've checked with your family, but like when you come out of here, like the world has completely changed since you've been in here. Just so you know. Yeah. Imagine that coming out of it, just being like, what the hell? Like, are you serious? But also it's like, okay, literally everyone is in isolation right now. So also the show's canceled because nobody cares because we're all living the big brother house right now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. When you hear it all laid out like that. It does kind of feel like not only what are the ethics of the producers, but what is the ethics for us as the consumers of the product and the reason that these shows are being made? And are we like actually ultimately responsible for this harm that has been brought on all these people? Yeah, I mean, I think it it does go both ways and there's definitely times where um, there'll be a reality show that comes on. Uh, I love Bachelor in Paradise. I love the Bachelor franchise. Um, but after this whole thing, it felt quite icky and I did go off yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I've pretty much not stopped watching the US version. Um, I just, I don't know. It just seemed really icky. Nothing else came out about it. You know, there's no more talk of, you know, responsibility to their contestants after that whole incident. Um, so it just kind of feels a bit weird to watch it now. Yeah, I feel um, like people want better now. The audience is smarter yeah. now. We just want better. And there are beautiful examples of reality shows that exactly. can like, be so lovely. Lego Masters. <laughs> Lego Masters. Um, the Great British Bake Off. Yeah. That's it's what audiences just, want now. It's just the most beautiful show ever. Um, even another show, um, Next in Fashion, you know, a fashion designer show. But it's it's just so sweet. You know, people are kind to each other, but there's still drama because there's time limits and it's stressful. But people actually help each other out. It's funny. Um, you know, people aren't catfighting. It doesn't all need to be catfighting to be interesting. And, um, you know, I hope that more shows get made like that. Speaking of interesting little characters... Why don't we talk about The Office? Yes. <laughs> the greatest reality show <laughs> ever <Exactly>. made. <laughs> so 
So today for our trash topic, we are covering the American office. Not to be confused with the British office, which was actually the original. Um, and it was produced by Ricky Gervais, uh, the, orig- the original office, the British one. Um, the show revolves around a number of characters in an office who all are quite, um, you know, they all have their own little personality trait that is representative of like a normal office. And I have to say they they do pretty damn well. There are some great characters in there. You've got, I'll recap the main ones. So we've got uh, Michael Scott, who's the the doofus boss who wants to be everyone's friend, but he's actually really silly and really politically incorrect. You've got Jim Halpert, who's like the normal hot guy who is in love with the receptionist called Pam. Um, and but he's like got- hot in the like everyday guy kind of hot. Like, you know, yeah. he's not a pretty I mean, he's boy. A, he's, he's a like, pretty gorgeous everyday guy, but he's he, a gorgeous um, everyday guy. Yeah, but he's like, you know, he's he he's normal and cuddly. You know, he's yeah. he's beautiful. And then you've got uh Dwight, who's like the office kind of oh God, he's hard to describe. He's like a nerd, but he's um and he's real, real goody two shoes with when it comes to Michael and doing everything by the book. And he and Jim have this banter where they're constantly hating each other and trying to play pranks on each other. And Jim just always gets Dwight. It's so funny. Um <laughs> You've also then got uh, a number of background characters, including Angela, who's like a very, very stuck up um, kind of uh, Nazi lady who um, adores her cats and is also in love with Dwight. Um, Then you've got Phyllis, who's quite the normal mumsy sort of character. Uh, You've got Stanley, who's like the grumpy African-American guy who just is grumpy about everything all the time. And then you've got the kind of just generic doofus who is Kevin. (laughs) I think think that's all the main ones. Do you have I missed out? Meredith and Creed and Kelly and Ryan and Toby. (gasps) Kelly and Ryan. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. All right. There's a lot of characters that are great in this show. So Meredith is like... This 50-year-old woman who they always just, all these jokes about her like being a whore basically, <laughs> like losing so her undies. Then Toby is like the HR guy who was a writer for the show and they kind of were like, you should be in the show. And he's like, I really don't want to be. And then they would write him into it. And <laughs> any episode so he was writing, he would write himself out of it. Um, yes. And then Kelly is also a writer. It's Mindy Kaling. From the Mindy Project. Yes. Love her. So she Love is her so much. Kelly Kapoor and then BJ Novick, who's like her real life best friend, is like her boyfriend in the show and they're the worst couple ever. They are. <laughs> and then Creed is like this really creepy guy who actually had a comedy show recently in Australia touring for really? 50 bucks. Yeah. Did you know that he's like a proper f- um, musician. real life musician? Yeah. yeah. There's so many stories like this in the office. Um, apparently, the lady who plays Phyllis is actually also not an actress. She's she was one of the casting directors, and because um, she was so funny and so authentic um, at reading her lines, they were like, "You've got to be in the show." And Toby Flinderson, um, who was Paul Lieberstein, I think is his name. Yes, and yeah. they they literally, I guess, because it's so incestuous like some of them are actors and some of them are writers or casting directors or producers or whatever but that's why there's such magic in the show is yeah because all the actors have really good chemistry oh, and even all the little small actors and each other it's yeah it's really good and the writers know how to write for themselves and their friends or you know and the authenticity of like phyllis and toby and um 
think I think they're the two main ones. And the actors uh, also improvise a lot of stuff for themselves. So Angela yeah. actually improvised the whole Loving Cats storyline. She like, did. Yeah. <laughs> and then the writers will work with it. They'll be like, okay, we'll write that in as well. It's just so good. It's so good. And, um, yeah, I absolutely love it. There's nine seasons in total. Um, a lot of people have probably mostly seen the early seasons um, and I think a few people would have got to the end as well. So, I think Grace, you're oh, gonna. I think most with... people have seen it all. Do I think reckon... most people didn't watch it at the time. I think oh, most okay. people have just watched it in the last four years in on Stan. Um, so just a really brief recap. So season one is basically just establishing the characters. The show is a documentary in a paper factory. Episode one was a direct copy of the UK script of the episode, but everything else is different. So basically there's like this slow burn flirting going on with Jim and the receptionist Pam and they're mainly like playing pranks on Dwight together. But then you realize that Pam has a fiance, Roy, who works in the warehouse. So you're like, ooh, love triangle. Mm -hmm. There's lots of cringe comedy about things like racism and sexual harassment. The big overarching drama of season one is that there might be downsizing and Michael just like doesn't know how to deal with it and is trying to just pretend it's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then in season and two, a bit of the other characters start to get some drama happening. So Dwight and Angela start dating in secret. Callie and Ryan are dating. Roy and Pam finally set a date for their wedding. So there's like this ongoing joke that they've been engaged for like years and Michael keeps giving Pam an employee award for longest engagement. But then finally, like Jim says, I'll give her something else this year. People are sick of that joke. So he gives her the whitest kids and she's like so drunk and happy. She's like, I want to thank God for this award. Anyway, we're getting a bit out of it, but that was a good episode of season two. And then basically, um, so Pam is with Roy, but Jim tells her that he loves her and they kiss. And then he goes to Stanford to their other branch. Mm. Um, where he starts dating this other woman, Karen, who's played by... Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones, yes, I went mentally blank. And then, like, basically, though, Pam and Jim are, like, the main part of the show. And actually, when they transferred the show to be in the US, they were like, look, because the US was like, we're going to milk this. We want to do, like, 20 seasons of this. So the UK creators actually said to them, a couple of tips... One, you need to make Michael more likable because if you just play yep. him how we did Ricky Gervais, everyone will hate him. And two, you need to really like make the story all about Pam and Jim, which it is. Yes, yes, they they did, and um, that's that was actually I'm pretty sure straight from Ricky Gervais. He was like, "Yeah, it's not going to work for you guys. Like, what you need to do is like I think it could work, but you need to change the tone, um, and you do need to have Michael be." lovable in moments and um although he is a total like asshole and so rude sometimes he he does have really nice moments where you do actually feel for him yeah you definitely sympathize for him a lot as well he does care about his colleagues like he cares that they're all you know happy they're his family they're his family and he doesn't have much else going on in his life so he really no so that brings office. me back to the show. So he's got like this, the boss of the show is called Jan and she's like <laughs> yes, this Jan. really straight. She's also in the bold type. Melora yes. someone is her name. And so like he's like in love with her and she's like, Michael, that's completely unprofessional. But they kind of date and like have some hilarious moments, but it doesn't really work out. And like Michael's kind of quest for love is another kind of undercurrent of the theme. So Jim has been working in Scranton with Karen 
But Pam basically decides that actually her four-year engagement with Roy is just going nowhere and actually she's in love with Jim. So Mm -hmm. she breaks up with Roy. So basically, like, there's a lot of little love stories. Phyllis has, like, her beautiful fiancé, Jim Fance, refrigeration, and everyone else has little romances. And Jim and Karen end up breaking up, and he comes back to Scranton. And it's over a season break, and in the new season, basically, like, Pam and Jim are, like, dating in secret. But the cameras, (laughs) it's like a documentary, and sometimes they don't know the cameras are filming them. There's a lot of, like, yeah. through-the-window shots, so, like, the camera sees them, like, get in the car together and kiss. And you're That's like, a key oh piece God. of information if anyone hasn't seen The Office. I mean, even if you haven't, you probably know this about the show, but it's a mockumentary. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretend doco about, yeah. The most boring the company in the world. The most boring company in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I loved her beach games thing where she runs through the fire. I love that scene so much. That's one of my favourite all-time episodes oh really yeah it is like i called off my wedding for you yes and now we're not even (laughs) friends yeah i love that yeah um so the main final stuff for my recaps is that angela and dwight are being really adorable but then he euthanizes her cat by putting it in the freezer so then she's just really upset with him and breaks up with him and she gets with andy um yes and Pam leaves to go um, do a three-month graphic design course in New York. Um, and Jim almost proposes to Pam, but he is interrupted by Andy proposing to Angela, who agrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Phyllis catches Dwight and Angela having sex in the office. Yes. Even though she's engaged to someone else. That so drama. A, a drama. That was a cliffhanger, I think, the end of season four. Yeah, that's and, where I'm um, up to. she walks in and in the next season, she's Phyllis is the head of the party planning committee and she's just like hoarding this information over Angela. <laughs> it's yes. just so funny. Because like, Angela has always this. run like, the yes, PPC with an iron claw. She has. And Phyllis could never get out from under her. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny. I love Phyllis. love her so much. Um, after that, um, a lot of things change. A few a few new characters come in. So Holly is the replacement. So Toby leaves to go to Costa Rica and leave the company. And they have a replacement HR person coming called Holly. And she is like lovely and pretty like normal. But she actually – and Michael just like thinks she's the most beautiful person ever. And he, she, he starts hitting on her and making like really bad jokes and stuff. But she actually, like, makes them back and she's, like, just as dorky as he she's is. She's so dorky and so, yeah, oh. I love her. And he literally just, like, he changes since he met, when he meets Holly. Like, he's just a different He found someone on his guy. level they didn't have to pretend with because he was always yeah. trying a bit too hard. Yeah, he did. He was always trying so hard with Jan and she was so mean to him and, oh. And it was just very cute, them getting together. But then actually quite quickly after them getting together, she leaves. Um, She gets transferred out to a different branch or uh, somewhere else Um, and it's like eight hours away from where he is. And so they break up. They actually don't get back together till like season seven or something like that. And it's really sad. Um, And the entrance of another character called Ellie Kemper, uh, sorry, mm. her, the actress's name is Ellie Kemper and she plays the receptionist, Erin. She's in Bridesmaids. She is in Bridesmaids. And she's also in um, the Unbelievable oh, Kimmy. Kimmy Schmidt. 
the unbreakable yeah, yeah, Kimmy yeah. Schmidt. Um, she's really cute. She's gorgeous. She actually loves Michael as well, like not in a romantic way, but she just thinks he's the best. And she's like yeah, such a good offsider for true, him. Cute. And then um, at the end of season seven, Michael actually leaves the show to go be with Holly. And um, that's the last we see of Michael. Yeah. And, and so Michael kind of, the rest of the cast had contracts for another two years after this, but Steve Carell was like a big star and he was like, I want to leave but the show was going to go on without him and, like, the show's about him, so it's quite controversial when he left. It was controversial, but I honestly still loved the show after he left. It's just all the other characters are still in it um, and they they make it for me. You know, Steve Carell was a nice addition and him and Holly were very cute, but he's definitely not necessary for me. I think Andy did a good job of stepping up into that I role. agree. I really like Andy. Andy was fantastic. He he stepped into that role of being the manager really well. Also, um, the later seasons I have very strong feelings about because I know a lot of people didn't get to season nine. And the interesting part about season nine is it kind of – so Jim and Pam start to have issues mm. and they start to have relationship issues. They've got two kids at this point um, and he gets a fancy job um, to do, be like a sports PR person or something like that in New York. And he goes and – Pam is still in Scranton and they're trying to do long distance and he's trying to, um, you know, she's sending him videos and things. At one time she's at a recital um, of her daughter's and she like couldn't get the camera to work or something. And she's like, oh my God, Jim, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, the, the camera didn't work, you know, it, but it was really good. And he, and he's like, what the hell, Pam, can't you get one thing right? Like you, that's all I wanted was for you to press that button. God, why couldn't you practice? Yeah. Why couldn't you do it properly? And it's a really, really believable fight between like a married couple and um, they start to really distance themselves. Jim kind of keeps taking out his frustration of being not at home and feeling guilty on out on Pam and Pam's trying to hold it together but then being like, you're actually just not around so, you know, maybe you should stop getting angry at me. I'm doing the best I can. Mm, um, and there's sort of this tension about, you know, should Jim – go and do his dreams and, and, you know, go get the job that he wants and everything. And Pam's like, I just, I like my life here in Scranton. I don't want to go to New York. I don't want to do all of these things. And she's like, it makes me feel like I'm just not enough for you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and stuff. And it's really sad. And she's like, I don't want to hold you back. Or, but like, it, it's very hard to make this family work, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it, it's all these believable things. And it's really tough and you actually see Jim not be the idyllic, beautiful dreamboat that he usually is and he's kind of a dick. And yeah. um, what but I love about it – it's realistic. It is realistic. And what I love about it is that in season nine there's also an added element of breaking the fourth wall but like in a fake way because the reality TV producers, the fake ones in the show who are played by actors, um, they basically – tell all the all the other characters that you know they're they're finishing up with the documentary and they're ready to like see all the promos and everything mm. and it gets quite self-referential um and it's like inception it's just like it's crazy it's like a show within a show within a show and um <laughs> and the producer um who who like one of the fake producers says to Pam like you know Jim's been treating you like crap and she's like do you reckon he's changed and then he's like yeah he has changed and then he's like 
I've been watching you for like nine years. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. And he's yeah. like, I'm in love with you. He's like, you're amazing. Like I've just watched everything. He's like, and you don't deserve what how Jim's been treating you. And it's just like, oh my God, the producer's in love with Pam. But of course they're in love with Pam because we're in love with, we're in love with Pam. Did you know that actually the original ending was that Pam had an affair with the producer and they get divorced? <gasps> yeah. No. So that was meant to be season nine. So it was meant to be that scene, her and the producer having an affair, Jim and Pam get divorced, and then right in the reunion season finale they were going to get back together. And John Krasinski wanted that ending. Mindy Kaling had been pushing for it since season five, just saying Jim Whoa. and Pam are boring. But in the end, it tested so badly with the test audiences, they had to edit all the footage out of that happening and just change it. Wow. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I think, honestly, if that had happened, it probably would have been, again, realistic. But I do believe that there was enough tension and enough um, enough issues that did come up in their relationship that it was still testing. Um, and there's a beautiful moment where um, – Pam and Jim have this embrace and it's not in the finale or anything, but they have this beautiful embrace in one of the episodes. Um, and he just comes home from New York and he hugs her and she's still pretty angry and he's kind of angry, but he's just hugging her thinking, hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll be okay. And you just see her like not hug him back. Yeah. And then you see this montage of all of their favorite moments just flashing by in her head of all of their cute moments, their children, like all of these beautiful things that have happened to them throughout their lives. Um, and like right now they're in a tough time. But then, you know, once that montage is finished, she decides to like embrace it and like give it another go. Because it was kind of like a breaking point for them. Yeah, so I guess that's how going. they did it instead of them actually breaking up. Like they still had really big problems. Yeah, they did have really big problems and it was really sad. And um, it just made that relationship all that all the more authentic. Like it was, it was quite good. I mean, they are still a little bit perfect, um, but at least it showed something in a sitcom. You know, it's pretty, pretty good for a sitcom. Yeah. Some depth. Um, and then, yeah, like they show everyone the office in the finale and everything. And it's just, it's so cute to see like their own reactions to the fake show. <laughs> it's like, oh my yeah. God, I didn't know. And then Angela's like, I didn't, um, it, it appears that I cheated on you with Dwight. Um, and they got it on camera. Bye, Andy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> me, Kelly Kapoor runs off with Ryan and um, at her own wedding. And like, he got left with a baby and stuff. Oh, it was yeah. just it was so funny. Just so random. Do you have a favorite episode? So there's actually a random favorite episode that I have. Um, and it's it's the season uh, season seven finale, episode 24, uh, where they search for Michael's replacement. And there are so many cameos in this episode. Oh. There's, yeah, there's the guy from Blacklist. Will Arnett, Ray Romano, Ricky Gervais, <laughs> Kathy Bates, Jim oh, Carrey, yeah. and Catherine Tate. Yeah. Wow. Star-studded. There's so many cameos and they all are like most of them interviewing for the position and it is just hilarious. It's just a really random episode. There's a scene from Dwight where he says this. I will run this branch or I will destroy this branch or I don't know. Something always works out. <laughs> just like every moment in this episode is funny and it's just a really good like hold its own 
um, total fan fave episode. So, yeah, I recommend going back and watching that if you haven't seen it in yeah. a while. My favourite one's also a fan fave. It's The Dinner Party. Oh, yes, The Dinner Party. <laughs> so funny. So Jan and Michael so host funny. Jim and Pam and Andy and Angela for the worst dinner party ever. Pam gives Jan a bottle of wine and she's like, oh, thank you. This will be great to cook with. Like, yes. She's such a snob and she's so rude to her all night. Um, and it's so just awful. like super awkward because Jan and Michael are just fighting all night in front of everyone. And the most hilarious fight I'm going to play for you. When I said that I wanted to have kids and you said that you wanted me to have a vasectomy, what did I do? And then when you said that you might want to have kids and I wasn't so sure, who had the vasectomy reversed? And then when you said you definitely didn't want to have kids, who had it reversed back? Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. You have no idea the physical toll the three vasectomies have on a person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's so So funny. funny. And she's also, like, got her, like, little homemade candles and she's got this CD she keeps playing that's, like, her assistant and it's clearly a song he wrote about losing his virginity to Jan. (laughs) Her assistant, who she's absolutely in love with. Hunter. So funny. And Um, the episode ends with them, like, listening to the CD in the car and eating burgers, Jim and Pam. They steal the CD. Oh, that's right. Because, yeah, they were starving because they only got the dinner at, like, midnight or something and it was awful. Yeah, she hadn't cooked Um, it. Pam's like three hours from now or three hours from when you put it on at four o'clock. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my God, we're in for a long night. Um, The other funny thing about Jan is that like she started out so straight edge and then she just like turned into an absolute loony. And And I don't know if I believe it, to be honest. Like I liked her as just really professional. So it's kind of seems a bit out of character when she becomes really loony. I I don't know. I suppose, but the show is silly at times. Like there are some really, really straighty, straighty 180 characters. And then there's others that are just insane, like Dwight, um, you know, the other horrible thing that Jan did was mm. um, when in the later seasons, she has a baby and she'd just broken up with Michael. Michael thinks it's his baby, but actually oh, yeah. she was with Michael and got a sperm donor while she was dating Michael. To get oh, pregnant. Oh, that's yeah, and so, so brutal. It's really, really sad, actually. Because Michael just really wants kids. He like, really wants in kids. In that vasectomy thing, he's like, I sad. bought this condo to fill it with kids. And then he just gets over it and he's like, okay, well, I'll, maybe I'll be like a support person for Jan. Um, and at this point, he's Aww. falling in love with Holly, but he hasn't made a move yet. She says, because she's met Holly, and by this point, Jan's like, oh, you're like really well suited to Michael like she just she just knows that and um she she just says all right well can you do one thing for me and he's like yeah and he's and she's like don't date Holly and mm-hmm. then he's like what why I, I wouldn't date Holly I, I, I think she smells like you know because he's trying to pretend <laughs> that he's not absolutely in love with her but then he goes up the elevator and this is probably my one of my favorite equal to Jim and Pam moments in the whole show is when he goes upstairs after that being he's like oh okay I won't date Holly Jan and then he's like you know what screw Jan and he goes straight up the elevator into the office walks right over to Holly and gives her like the biggest hug and they both start tearing up and it's just like they both tear up and they don't kiss or anything it's just a hug and it's it's just the sweetest thing and that's when they start their their romance and it's just absolutely beautiful like again 
sometimes they just create such beautiful moments <laughs> in this show. They really hit you hard in the feels. So speaking of beautiful Jim and Pam moments, um, my sister has a little office trivia game and I found Ooh. a little question about Jim and Pam's history that I want to ask you. Okay. Pam tells Jim she realized she liked him when he did what? Uh, the teapot. Letter in the teapot? No, not the letter in the teapot. But did you know the letter in the teapot? He wrote a real letter about all the things he likes with working with her. <gasps> and she was actually reading it genuinely. This like really lovely letter. didn't yeah john krasinski is a beautiful man emily blunt's a a lucky woman and he's a lucky man because she's awesome too but no the answer is he told her that the yogurt she was about to eat was expired do you remember that that's right i knew it was something like that something cute and food related (laughs) this one's about dwight yep it is a shrewd family tradition for parents to leave this on the doorstep of a male whenever he has sex with another woman. <laughs> oh, damn it. I can't remember. It kind of makes sense if you think about it. Beats? No, not beats. Good guess, though. <laughs> uh, no. It's a bag of wild oats. So it's oh, like, bag it's of that wild saying, oats. So you wild oats. So good. I think you might know this one. Dwight says he once shot a werewolf, but by the time he got to it, it turned back into this. Oh, well, a man, because that's the werewolf mythology. Is that it? <laughs> he said it turned into a dog. His name is Dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So he shot a dog. Oh, Dwight, he's just so awful. So the other... <laughs> They, they, Jim and Dwight really are the the main love story of the office. I feel um, love, hate. <laughs> two sides of the same coin is love and hate. So yeah, love I guess. and hate exactly. And um, the show would not be the show it is without all of their pranks. Jim is my enemy, but it turns out that Jim is also his own worst enemy, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Jim is actually my friend, but. Because he is his own worst enemy, the enemy of my friend is my enemy. So actually, Jim is my enemy. I could talk about this show for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> you could, and we do frequently. Um, <laughs> but do. I think we'll have to leave it there because it's time for Hero of the Week. My Hero of the Week is 88-year-old Nick Advogatus, whose wife um, is in a nursing home. And because of coronavirus, he's not allowed to visit her. And her room is on the third floor. So he hired a cherry picker so he could go up high and like wave to her through the window. (gasps) So beautiful. (laughs) That is the sweetest thing. So she can't come downstairs at all? Yeah, look, that seems like a plot hole. <laughs> Couldn't she have just come to the foyer? <laughs> Maybe she's bedbound, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Surely. It's, it's still like, a beautiful gesture. A beautiful gesture, even if she could come downstairs. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's the beautiful <laughs> romance of it. This shouldn't even be called Hero of the Week. This should just be called Nursing Home Beautiful Stories. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> most of mine are nursing home related. That's true. <laughs> well, I have a throwback in my next segment as well to another week as well. Okay, so who's your hero? 
So my hero this week is my family friend, Sandra, who has, in COVID, got addicted to an online card game called Euchre. And a lot of people might not have heard of this game, but I actually played this um, myself a lot, and it's extremely addictive. It's really, really fun. takes a lot of skill, a little bit of bluff. Um, And so, so she is amazing at this card game, and she just started these online tournaments. And... Then she told me yesterday that she's come up to stay with me in Bendigo at the moment and she said, I came across the leaderboard and I'm accidentally the best in the world. (laughs) (laughs) What? So she's number one in the world (laughs) at Yuka online tournament. That is so awesome. (laughs) But then in the duration of her staying with me, she got bumped from her top spot because someone else is basically stayed up for 24 hours playing enough games so that they could beat her. (laughs) Really? So (laughs) she's got like rivals. Yeah. Like I think she was in front by about 50 points and then someone else like, yeah, played heaps and heaps and heaps of games to, um, to get his score up and (laughs) dethroned her. That is awesome. I'm so proud of Sandy. That is such a good story. (laughs) Me too. Okay. Time for Rural and Regional. So my country news this week is quite similar to one we did a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking about the town of Yarram turning into Heathscow Town. Oh, yes. So a similar thing has occurred in the town of Clon, sorry, Colbenabin, uh, which is not too far from Bendigo, sort of on the way to Murchison and Shepparton Way. It's a man called Tim Botell, and he's almost finished a year-long project where he was painting a number of silos. So all this artwork was suggested by people from the town and discussed with the people of the town, so it's just super cute that they actually all got input into what would be in these artworks, and so they're all meaningful. Um, That's beautiful. It is. And I just, you know, it's really awesome that, um, you know, artists are thinking of interesting and cool ways and finding blank canvases everywhere, which will bring tourism and people and interest and, you know, trendy art scenes to country towns. It's just, I think it's really awesome. All about the trendy art. All about the trendy art. Step aside. It's all about the silos. (laughs) That's right. All about the silos. (laughs) Well, for my country news, Miranda, I want to ask you, did you know that Bendigo has Victoria's biggest pig vaccine centre? It has the what? Pig vaccines. So it's not testing human vaccines on pigs. It's all tested in petri dishes. But basically what it is, it is farm-specific vaccines for pigs. Oh. So rather than just give the pigs like over prescribing them antibiotics and then things become resistant which is a problem for humans what they are doing in bendigo is if there's a sick pig the vet takes a sample and in a petri dish at the lab they grow a specific vaccine and they give it to all the pigs at that farm and it's just very specific to that farm oh wow i did not know this about my own town Yeah, it's in your hood. (laughs) It's in my hood. Oh, my God. That's really cool. So basically, um, are they just servicing sort of like 
the region around Bendigo? No, they they're the whole of Victoria's pig um, vaccine center. So it's actually why it's in the news and why I found out about it is it's actually closed at the moment because of coronavirus. And so heaps of farmers and people like the representatives of like the pig farmer unions are like, we need to open this like vaccine laboratory again because like it's so important what this place in Bendigo is doing for pigs around Victoria. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. And like an interesting throwback to episode one of our podcast. Like who knew there was farm specific vaccines? So I thought that was just an interesting little story. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, there you go. Bendigo. (laughs) (laughs) Our little claim to fame here. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. What about recommendations? So at least two people have got in touch with us um, to say that they cried listening to our podcast when I told the story about the man who's um, the nursing home gave him a photo of his wife on a pillow. Yes. Two people have told us they cried, including a man. So that was quite some beautiful feedback. Yes. Um, so I wanted to tell you about where I found that video because it actually relates to the theme of today's episode about The Office. So I actually saw that video on something on YouTube called Some Good News with John Krasinski. And basically, Jim from The Office has started this like good news only YouTube show based on coronavirus. It's also where I saw the story about the forklift, actually, the cherry picker. Um, So he's doing it's all just little cute things like that. But also, um, he's done all this amazing stuff he's organized. So he did a graduation ceremony, which had like Oprah speak at it. He did a prom. They got the whole cast of The Office together to officiate someone's wedding. They got the whole cast of Hamilton together to like sing to a girl on Zoom. And it's basically like the best show ever. It's called Some Good News with John Krasinski. Oh, that's gorgeous. And he is so damn beautiful. So to know that he's a good person in real life is just the icing on the cake. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And you know who else is beautiful and a beautiful person is his wife, Emily Blunt. Oh, Emily Blunt. And she like pops in and out of the episodes and it's just really cute. Oh, what a power couple. (laughs) God. Totally. Seriously, how do you rival that? (laughs) Well, Jim and Pam rival that pretty closely, but. Oh, they do. They do. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Um, so mine is a podcast and it's a specifically a podcast episode, but, um, the whole podcast is fantastic. It's called Just the Gist with Rosie Waterland. Um, and basically the premise of the podcast is that she explains a topic to her friend, Jacob Stanley, who doesn't really watch TV, read the news or know anything about anything. So <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious because his reactions are so fresh. You could be like, hey, you heard about coronavirus? And he'll be like, what? Like, what is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just he just doesn't know anything about anything. And he's so funny. And um, Rosie Waterland's the best at just explaining things and summarizing and giving, you know, just the gist. Yeah, I really like her. She's fantastic. Um, there was a f- my one of my favorite episodes so far was a couple of weeks ago, and she picks a new topic each week. This one was about Sir Alfred Nasiri. Um, Who have you have you heard of him? No, no. Okay, well he's the guy who Tom Hanks played in ter- in the Terminal in the movie. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where he got trapped, yeah, where where he mm-hmm. got trapped in the airport um, for seventeen years. 
because and his country was no longer recognized by other countries as legitimate. So his so passport that's what, was invalid. So that's what happened in the movie. <laughs> oh, is that not true? <laughs> so part of the movie is true in that, like, there were little things that happened, but the, mu- the movie was very much Hollywoodized. And actually the movie came out and... I think had an ending and stuff that wasn't even true yet because the guy was still in the airport. He only got out like like close to 10 years ago or something like that. And this movie wow. was made ages ago. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the real story is fascinating about where he ended up, why he ended up there. He wasn't even in America. He was in France. And the real story about this man is absolutely fascinating. And he really did get trapped in an airport for 17 years. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. But yeah, anything she does is great. The whole podcast is great. But Sir Alfred Nasiri was definitely a favorite. So yeah, get on it. I will. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, for my second recommendation, again, I'm going with the theme of The Office. So two of the co-stars from The Office who were also best friends, Jenna Fisher, who plays Pam Beasley, and Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela, have started a podcast together and it's called Office Ladies and every episode they recap one episode at a time. Oh my God, and they this, have... was, this was going to be my recommendation as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So it could be like it's a, great. Co- a co-reco. It's a great podcast. Perfect. Yeah. It's a great podcast. And basically they've brought to light all of this really interesting, never before known facts yes. about the show, little interesting tidbits and trivia. Yep. It's just like so- some of the stuff we talked about during the episode was revealed on the show, like the fact that yeah. Phyllis was the casting director and all these sorts of things. And Paul Lieberstein being Toby and stuff. And also they just explain all these tiny little things. Like you, again, you spoke about um, Angela improvising the cat stuff yes. as part of her yes. character. Um, but what I really like about The Office Ladies, it came out a few months before we even thought of doing this and they just made it look like so fun to have a podcast and like I feel like yeah. they're one of our inspirations. Yeah, it's so cute. These two women, uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, they are actually real best friends in real life and they had such a good time on the office they just loved it they loved hanging out together and have continued to stay friends and then thought you know what let's go back and do the whole thing all over again and it just brings all this magic back to each episode and if you just watch one uh then you listen to the recap of it you know you just all these little things that they comment on and you find out about it's just it's so lovely such a it's lovely... awesome, yeah. If you've never seen The Office, or even if you have, it's I highly recommend watching it again all from the start in time with them. Yeah, and you don't have to watch it like as a binge because they only bring out one a week. So yeah. it's only you only really have to watch you know twenty minute episode one once a week and then follow along with the podcast. And it's just it's so delightful. It's so happy for something less serious. <laughs> Speaking of less serious. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Lab. <laughs> we are. Let's disclaimer, that's for trash. That's the trash. That's the trash. That's less serious. That's not medical advice. <laughs> and for our treasury topic, we will be talking about the interesting concept of Munchausen by internet, where people fake being sick online. We've got some awesome examples to share with you. That's right. You don't want to miss it. See you next week. Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. 
we've done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.